Hello, and welcome to day 38 of A Miserable Year. I'm Anthony Adler, and I'm going to read you the whole of Victor Hugo's lugubrious Les Miserables over the course of 2018. That's the podcast. In today's episode, we hear a little more about the Tenadiers, and I'll read a word you've never heard me read before. Enjoy! Le Miserable, Volume 1, Fontaine, Book the Fourth, To Confide is Sometimes to Deliver into a Person's Power. Chapter 2, First Sketch of Two Unprepossessing Figures. The mouse which had been caught was a pitiful specimen, but the cat rejoices even over a lean mouse. Who were these Tenadiers? Let us say a word or two of them now. We will complete the sketch later on. These beings belong to that bastard class composed of coarse people who have been successful, and of intelligent people who have descended in the scale, which is between the class called middle and the class denominated as inferior, and which combines some of the defects of the second with nearly all of the vices of the first, without possessing the generous impulse of the working man or the honest order of the bourgeois. They were of those dwarfed natures which, if a dull fire chances to warm them up, easily become monstrous. There was in the woman a substratum of the brute, and in the man the material for a blackguard. Both were susceptible, in the highest degree, of the sort of hideous progress which is accomplished in the direction of evil. There exist crab-like souls which are continually retreating towards the darkness, retrograding in life rather than advancing employing experience to augment their deformity, growing incessantly worse, and becoming more and more impregnated than ever augmenting blackness. This man and woman possessed such souls. Tornadier, in particular, was troublesome for a physiognomist. One can only look at some men to distrust them, for one feels that they are dark in both directions. They are uneasy in the rear and threatening in the front. There is something of the unknown about them. One can no more answer for what they have done than what they will do. The shadow which they bear in their glance denounces them. From merely hearing them utter a word or seeing them make a gesture, one obtains a glimpse of sombre secrets in their past and of sombre mysteries in their future. This Tenadier, if he himself was to be believed, had been a soldier, a sergeant, he said, he had probably been through the campaign of 1815, and had even conducted himself with tolerable valour, it would seem. We shall see later on how much truth there was in this. The sign of his hostelry was an allusion to one of his feats of arms. He had painted it himself, for he knew how to do a little of everything, and badly. It was at the epoch when the ancient classical romance, which, after having been Clélie, was no longer anything but Lodowiska, still noble, but ever more and more vulgar, having fallen from Mademoiselle de Scudery to Madame Bunot-Malade, and from Madame de Lafayette to Madame Barthelme Hadot, was setting the loving hearts of the portresses of Paris aflame, and even ravaging the suburbs to some extent. Madame de Nadier was just intelligent enough to read this sort of books. She lived on them. In them she drowned what brains she possessed. This had given her, when very young, and even a little later, 
a sort of pensive attitude towards her husband, a scamp of a certain depth, a ruffian letter to the extent of grammar, coarse and fine at one and the same time. But so far as sentimentalism was concerned, given to the perusal of Pigault Lebrun, and, in what concerns the sex, as he said in his jargon, a downright, unmitigated lout. His wife was twelve or fifteen years younger than he was. Later on, when her hair, arranged in a romantically drooping fashion, began to go grey, when the Megaera began to be developed from the Pamela, the female Tanadia was nothing but a coarse, vicious woman who had dabbled in stupid romances. Now, one cannot read nonsense with impunity. The result was that her eldest daughter was named Eponine. As for the younger, the poor thing came near to being called Gunlaire. I know not to what diversion, affected by a romance of Decray de Menil, she owed to the fact that she merely bore the name of Azelma. However, we will remark by the way, everything was not ridiculous and superficial in that curious epoch to which we are alluding, and which may be designated as the anarchy of baptismal names. By the side of this romantic element which we have just indicated, there is the social symptom. It is not rare for the neat herds boy nowadays to bear the name of Arthur, Alfred, or Alphonse, and for the Vicomte, if there are still any Vicomtes, to be called Thomas, Pierre, or Jacques. This displacement, which places the elegant name on the plebeian and the rustic name on the aristocrat, is nothing else than an eddy of equality. The irresistible penetration of the new inspiration is there as everywhere else. Beneath this apparent discord, there is a great and a profound thing. The French Revolution.